So I was thinking this morning about growing up. It's Father's Day, and my dad is a is a preacher, and I was. I haven't had this thought a lot, and I've been preaching for many years, but I remember as a kid just really looking forward to the music in church, and then, no offense, Dad, uh, not looking as much forward to the to the sermon, and then it's just dawned on me, gosh, I'm seven or eight years into this, and that's me now, and so I realize what time it is, and so we'll uh, we'll hurry through this, but I don't want to uh, I don't want to cut this. Uh, cut this short and also want to say that while that may be true about me as a child I also know how much I was formed by my dad's faithful good preaching through the years and so it is true of our gathering our prayer times our singing together our offertory moments our giving our hearing the word proclaimed uh, it is true that that forms us and that is why it is good together and there's there's much more to say about that but um Another time. Romans eight, eighteen through 30, this middle section in such a powerful chapter. And we will finish out the, uh, the chapter next week together. But when we think back to last week, we did delve in a little bit into what the Israelites' experience would have been in the wilderness during the time in which they were exiled from Egypt on their way to the promised land that God allowed the Israelites to be taken into captivity, that God uh, didn't stop it. Right. God allowed it to happen. But in being slaves in Egypt, God was able to set them free and to mark them forever as the people who were set free, the freedom from slavery people. So in our text today, right at the at the start in verse 18, God reveals through Paul that God has allowed for us to be subjected to what Paul calls the sufferings of this present time. And we see this, I mean, there's a lot of suffering out there. But we, we see this, I think, most basically in the changing of the seasons. Go with me for just a minute. Summer as it is now, it changes into fall and fall into winter. And then spring springs back. And here in Tennessee, we, we have all the seasons, sometimes in one day. Um, but we, we see the sharper edge of, of these seasons uh, in, the, in the spring, really, sometimes in the summer as well, in volatile weather, strong thunderstorms, sometimes even tornadoes. And, and, and such weather is not evidence of God punishing us here in this region in a particular way, as much as it is just evidence of a world that suffers, a world that is, although it's God's world, although it's God's good creation, it's not yet as it should be, not yet as it will one day be. But we do see glimpses of the way things should be, right? We do. We, we see beauty, at least I hope that you do. Now, there is no place in the world that I have experienced that, that, that helps me see the hope that I'm speaking of now like a certain place right here in our city. I've, I've probably told you about this. Um, it's uh, I love to be outside, and this is my favorite place to be outside. You know, even though we have four seasons in one day sometimes, or we have all the seasons, we, we do live in a climate where we can be outside most of the year, save a day here. And there, my favorite place to be outside is just down the street in the park, uh, Edwin and Percy Warner's Park. It's my favorite place to be. To walk uh, or jog on the roads or particularly the trails there. You see uh, 
the picture of, of such. Um, that's my favorite place to be. It's a magnificent place in the world. NPR, five years ago, named it in the top seven of all urban parks in the United States of America. That's pretty cool. It's a majestic place where I find the presence of God to be palpable. Now, this time of year, see, it, it's, it plays beautifully with the seasons because this time of year, even though it's hot, so hot outside, the canopy of trees help keep it a little bit cooler in there, which is neat. Uh, and I love the wintertime there because the, the, tr- the leaves take a hiatus, and so you can see the views are even more majestic in the winter because they're not as blocked. Um, you know, we all know how beautiful autumn is in Tennessee, but it's actually a pr- pretty dangerous time, at least for me, in the park. And it's because those leaves that take a hiatus, they have to fall first and they cover the ground. And even though the temperature is perfect during this time of year on many days, uh, the rocks and the roots get covered up by these leaves. And I'm not uh, very, I'm, just, I'm pretty clumsy. And I fall a few times a year in there. And it's, I love it so much, it's still worth it for me to go. And occasionally I'll just come home, right, boys, with just bleeding because I just tripped and fell. I even fell one time on the road in a pothole that was covered up by, uh, by leaves. Still my favorite place to be. And in the most beautiful time of year, it perhaps is its most volatile. Isn't that interesting? At least for me. That's why creation is groaning, y'all. Because there's volatility all around. Let's be honest, pain abounds, Right? I bet for those of us who are following and and are being formed by Jesus that the most common response for us to this reality uh, that pain abounds, that suffering exists, is for us to rest in the hope, in the truth, in the, the hope that we have that once creation is set free from its bondage to decay, as Paul so eloquently describes in chapter 8, um, that these things won't be like this anymore. I think of this week on Tuesday. Did y'all go outside on Tuesday? This I think it was Tuesday. It was so beautiful. It was cooler. There was no humidity. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't think there's going to be humidity in heaven. Humidity may have some very viable reasons that it's important, but I don't know of them. I was in Baton Rouge one year on December the 27th, and I was just sweating to death. And I'm like, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Anyway. You know, we're called to live as folks that are not just longing for heaven, though. This section of Paul's letter to the Romans has taught us last week that we are both living in our adoption as daughters and sons of God right now. And then in verse 23, this week, we are also waiting on this adoption. I say this often to you. It is this already but not yet aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. And so I encourage you today, church, just like I encourage myself every day, and I feel your prayers of encouragement as well, that we are to just hold on, that we are to be strong, that we are to wait on and wait in the Lord, that we are to be joyful in our suffering. It was just two chapters earlier in chapter 5. Is it chapter 5, Jay, or did I mess that up? Verses 3 through 5. Yeah. Not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions, Paul says. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. 
Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Paul put it beautifully right there. And because it's not yet this, this, this perfection, this heaven is not yet, because we are also awaiting our full adoption as daughters and sons of God, we have to understand there's work to do. I spent two days this week at the Southern Baptist Convention meetings. Well, actually, I spent Wednesday cleaning out a shed in my house and following along the convention because it was all online uh, with my AirPods in. And I just, Leslie, I see Leslie Ann looking at me like, I know you're not listening to me when I'm talking to you because you have your AirPods in. And I'm, I'm sorry, honey, about that. She's online today. The theme of the week was Great Commission Baptist, that we would be Great Commission Baptist. Maybe you you heard of this. And of course, this comes from the Great Commission, referring to Jesus' admonition at the end of Matthew's gospel, calling us to take the good news of the gospel everywhere in the world, as Oksana will do over the next three weeks, and baptize women and men in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This directive on our lives that originated uh, from Jesus' mouth in Luke chapter 10 that we looked at on Memorial Day weekend when Jesus sent out the disciples in chapter 9 and then chapter 10 sent out 70 additional disciples to go and to heal the sick and to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And we have embedded this call on our lives as people following and being formed by Jesus at the church at Harpeth Heights under the umbrella of Brentwood Baptist Church. It's one of its regional campuses in a five-year compelling vision that perhaps you have not seen yet. And so we're going to talk about it for just a couple of seconds this morning. And it says we will pursue 10,000 disciples making disciples relationships as a result of 500,000 gospel conversations in which we share the whole gospel of Jesus to our neighbors here and around the world. And we'll create a church multiplication network movement that results in 100 healthy congregations in Middle Tennessee and beyond. Doesn't that sound cool and daunting? That's our plan as great commission people. And I really like it. And I fully understand that all of those numbers and all of this counting may be off-putting to you because it is to many people. I get it. I get it. Just this week, I noticed that Beth Moore, I like to follow her on Twitter because she's electric and it's good. And she mentions this grassroots prayer movement that she and a few others are going to start in July. And she tweeted this. She said, let's do July. And when Beth Moore says something, it usually can happen because there's a lot of people listening. I love that. She said, let's do July. No signups. No over-controlling, no factions, no political or personal agendas. That sounds nice. No conference, no simulcast, no gimmick. No counting how many of us are doing it. Not women only, not men only, not grown-ups only. No denominational stuff, just people who believe in Jesus. Because after all, we're not consumers. We're Christ followers. Amen. Exactly. Following and being formed by Jesus. Jesus alone. But at the same time, we're in this organization with all of these lights that come on. You have to pay for them. Do you get that? I didn't mean metaphorical lights. A local church has to do some counting. Some of it's more fun than others. Sometimes we serve over 116 families on a Friday in a food pantry, and that's really fun to count. And then sometimes we have to count butts and seats. And the tradition in the Baptist tradition is to lie about that. I'm not sure why that started, because I guess that's how we proved we were, we were doing good. But that's not the only way we prove we're doing good. 
I don't even think it really speaks to that. Growth happens in you before it happens around you in those pews. I really appreciate Beth Moore's tweets about this. We have to make room to take our hands off a bit and to pray and to let the Holy Spirit change us and change things through us. This is what verses 26 and 27 are expressing. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Maybe it's when your tummy's growling. You ever thought about that? And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according, according to the will of God. The Spirit is constantly working on our behalf, in us and through us, groaning to ease our pain in our time of need, which is often, but also to give us a kickstart in our time of apathy, which sadly is also often. Now we have this, I, I bet you've heard it, I've heard it, I think I've said it because it was fun to say, and I do believe it in a sense, that I don't like religion as much as I like spirituality. Have y'all heard that? Raise your hand if you've, if you've heard that. I don't like religion. Not many of you. Good, that's good. Maybe this sermon point will fall on deaf ears. I like religion. And I'm learning to like it more. Religion can, keeps me connected to God, tethered to God, as some people put it tethered to that which is good, which is beautiful, which is true, because the present sufferings can be so great. I need your testimony of God's presence in your life. And you know what? Religion draws us together on Sundays. And I hope it is not solely because you believe you're supposed to be here. I hope that we can all grow in our understanding that this gathering is good and true and beautiful because it is important because I need you and we need each other. I need to meet with you weekly. I need you to pray for me. I need to pray for you. And yes, all of this is anchored in my relationship with Christ, in being in Christ, the Holy Spirit in me, groaning on my behalf, groaning on your behalf. This is what helps connect us and move forward. And that at its best is religion. And that is deep, well-formed religion that is helping form us into the likeness of of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, hollow, shapeless, just ought, must, and should religion, that's not worth a dime. I said dime. Then verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, this verse can be misunderstood, I believe. I've misunderstood it before. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that our circumstances, whatever they are, should be considered good. As we've said, there are people struggling everywhere for a host, for a variety of reasons. Some of these just misfortune and some of the struggling as a direct result of sin in their own life or in somebody else's life. Sin has most terrible adverse effects. Plato once said, when you meet someone you haven't met before, just assume they're struggling. Just assume that they're suffering. But for those of us who love God, whose lives have been and are being changed by the gospel, who are following and being formed by Jesus, we understand 
We understand and we live out and we don't always remember it, but we understand and we are always drawn back to that ultimately all things will be what? It'll be good. They'll be well. And in this, it makes sense that God is orchestrating, even though we don't understand the mind of God and we don't always believe God is doing it on the timetable that we would choose. We believe fervently that God is making all things new, all things well. It's not yet, but it is surely happening. In verse 29 and 30, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Many. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What if we were people as those set apart, predestined, called, justified, glorified? What if we were first and foremost about letting all of the struggling people around us, ourselves included, know that Jesus loves them too? What if that was our chief desire? Should be. I'll never forget a story I heard about the mother, from the mother, heard the story from the mother of a man who was in the hospital in Atlanta in the 80s, dying of AIDS. Way back in the 80s. And this was during the time that there was very little, we, we knew very little about this terrible disease, AIDS. And there was, other than it was killing many, many people. And the man had no church connection, but his mother had some distant relatives who lived near them that did have a church connection. And so they called that minister to come to the, uh, to the hospital. And that minister did come to the hospital and went up to the room. The young man was lying in the bed. He was gasping. He was dying. And the minister stood out in the hallway and had the door, uh, had the nurses open the door and he, and he yelled in a prayer. He, he just yelled in a prayer. Another pastor heard about the young man, and she went to the hospital as well, hurriedly. She went straight into the room, and she pulled up a chair, and she lifted his head, and she cradled it in her arm, and she sang, and she quoted Scripture, and she prayed, and then she sang some more. And then he died. And some folks asked her, they said, weren't you scared? And she said, yes, I was very scared. He had AIDS. I think I took three baths that night. Well, why did you do it? She said, I just imagined what Jesus would have done had he gotten the call. And I had to go. And I've thought about this story a lot over the past year. I heard it some time ago and I don't mean any shame on any of us who took COVID very seriously. I certainly did. But I really am enjoying hugging your necks again. But don't you see? I hope that you see the groaning that creation is doing, the groaning that the Holy Spirit is doing on our behalf. We have a part to play in that. We have a huge part to play in that. Those of us who love God, who are called, who are justified, and who are being 
glorified through him. Those who are following and being formed by Jesus, these, these great commission people. That's what you are gifted to take the good news of the gospel out into the world. But you can't do it without also being great commandment people. I heard somebody say that this week and I loved it. You can't do it without being somebody who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and who loves your neighbor as yourself. Those two work together. Otherwise, you will be taking the gospel into the world with hollowness inside of you. Great commission people who are serious about God's great commission on our lives. We don't, you don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be. And you don't have to be crushed by the suffering that comes along in life, although we might be. But when it becomes too much, Go back to Romans 8. Go back to what Paul wrote so many years ago along with the people in his community because they were experiencing the same things that many of us are experiencing and even then some. This is the testimony of their faith amidst great persecution, against great confusion, up against great trial. So it's okay if you're not okay. Paul wasn't, but this is what Jesus said through him. This is the truth that we cling to. If this is new to you, I pray that you'll act on it. All it takes to begin following and being formed by Jesus is to say that you want to. And each and every week that we gather, we, we hope to extend that invitation to you but much less from me or of any, any of our ministers or any interaction you may have and much more from the Holy Spirit that is alive and well and groaning from within us and calling out to you and asking you to take that first step toward life in Christ, to take that first step toward forever being different. First step toward being whole. Do you feel less than whole this morning? There's a remedy for that. And I believe that God best expresses that in our world through the local church. I believe there is a place for you here or in another good one near here to be formed into who Christ would have you to be. This is not, even though we're a few minutes over today, a place you're not supposed to be. This is exactly where you are supposed to be. In a world that offers so many answers that fall way, way short, this is God's grace in action that an imperfect collection of people on this corner of God's earth could express a perfect gospel that is good enough, much more than good enough for each and every one of us. That whatever questions you ever had about what God has called you to or whether God is sufficient to bring you into a place where you can be whole, those questions can be answered in one way and that's through the grace and peace offered by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 is as clear 
a place as I have ever been taken to by my dad in those years when I didn't even know I was listening to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am included and so are you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. Absolutely nothing. Would you pray with me?